0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message.
1: All right, Luke chapter number 15. Just stay seated because I want to tell you a story before I get to preaching tonight. Luke chapter number 15, verse number 1. The Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured. By the way, that's what they always do. You can point one of those things out by watching how they act. They like the shadows. They don't like the spotlight. They're murmurs. Saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. By the way, I underlined in verse 4 the two words, is lost, and then I underlined the two words in verse number 6, was lost. And I thank God for that kind of a testimony. I once was an is lost, but now I'm a was lost. Verse number 7 says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one, doesn't say sheep, over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, I really believe this. I'm not just saying it, but I really believe that if I could get a hold of this truth tonight, it would change the way I live my Christian life. I think if our church got a hold of this collectively, it would change our church. I was preaching a meeting several years ago in the state of Georgia, and a man came to church on Sunday night, and he said halfway back on that side of the building, the man I found out after the service, his name was Scooter. Now, I don't think that was what was on his birth certificate, but that's the name that he was going by. And Scooter sat halfway back on that side. He'd never been to that church before. I found out after the service, he'd just been out of prison about two weeks, and a man who was a member of the church had invited him to come, and so he did. During the preaching, he just sat there, and he looked straight ahead while I preached, and I kind of watched him out of the corner of my eye, and I watched him during the invitation. During the invitation, Scooter left his seat and walked down the side aisle to the front. When he came down to the front, the man who had invited him met him there in front of the pulpit, and they began to speak to each other. And they spoke to each other for seemed like a couple of minutes, and then the man who had invited him went like this to me. So I left the pulpit during the invitation went down, and I said, yes, sir. And he said, this is Scooter. Scooter's been out of jail two weeks. I've hired him to work for me, but he came tonight and said he wants to get saved. I said, Scooter, do you want to get saved? He said, yes, sir, I need to be saved. And there on the altar on Sunday night, Scooter got born again. He got saved. On Monday night, he came back. Now, I like it when folks get saved. I really like it when they get saved and come back. He sat in the same spot. He was already an independent Baptist and didn't even know it. (laughs) He had his spot. He sat halfway back on that side, but he didn't come by himself. He brought his cousin and her two teenage children with him, three people. They sat in that seat, and while I preached, they just looked straight ahead. I gave the invitation. Scooter went to those three people, and I don't know what he said to them. He's only been out of jail two weeks. He might have been saying, stick him up. I have no idea what he's saying. But they all three went like this. And he led them down the path he took the night before to the front. And when he got down to the front, he looked at me and went like this. I think he thought that's just what we do. He hadn't been around some old dead church member long enough to understand that's not what we do. And I said, what is it? He said, they want to get saved like I got saved. And I said, do you three want to be saved? And they said, we need to be saved. And two women and the pastor of that church led those three people to Christ at the altar on Monday night. On Tuesday night, he came back. And he brought two men from work with him. They told me after the service, they said, he'd been giving us these cards all week. They were gospel tracts. During the invitation, same thing. I thought, I'm having deja vu. Nobody else was moving, but Scooter was very active. And Scooter went to those two people, said something to them, and they both went like this. He brought them down the same path. I'm so glad he hadn't gotten beside somebody who's got over that yet. Been out of jail two weeks. But anyway, he came down to the front, and he went like this. And now I finally caught on. I might be dumb, but I'm not stupid, Andy. You know, I finally caught on. on Tuesday night. Scooter got out of jail two weeks earlier. He got saved on Sunday night. By Tuesday night, he was personally responsible for five other people being born again. After the service, I was talking to him. I said, Scooter, man, you're awesome. I said, you've come to every service. I said, you've got five people saved this week. I said, you've done more in two days than most Christians will their entire Christian life. I said, in fact, I believe you've made news in heaven this week. Here's what he asked me. He said, do you really think that what I do down here makes a difference up there? Well, the Bible says that there's joy in heaven. So I want to try to answer his question tonight. Because if there's shouting up there, I want to know what causes it. If there's rejoicing up there, I want to know how to make it happen. If there's a chance for me to add joy to a place that's already full of it, you better believe I want to add joy to that place with all my strength, all my heart, and all my time. So tonight I want to just preach a very simple message. I want to ask the question and answer it. What is all that shouting about? Let's pray. Lord, I pray you speak to our hearts tonight, please. I pray you'd stir us, Lord, just to have a desire and a burden to do what you would do if you were here bodily this evening. I pray you'd help our church to be a church that continually makes heaven rejoice. I pray you'd put it on the heart of a Christian, Lord, to go out and do this. Help us, Lord, tonight. I pray for your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Can it be that earth can impact eternity? I mean, is it possible that the temporal can affect the eternal? Is it really possible that what we do down here can actually make a difference up there? Well, the Bible says, likewise I say unto you that joy shall be in heaven. Amen. It's been called Zion, the Mount of God, Yule the Land. It's a city unlike anything seen by the eyes of man. It's a spot unlike any spot that's been touched by time or tarnished by sin. Can it be that you and I can actually make a difference in a place like that? Well, the Bible says, likewise I say unto you, that joy shall be in heaven. Amen. Heaven's incomprehensible, but always on the mind of the Christian. Heaven's a place I've never seen, yet I can tell you tonight heaven's my home. Heaven's a place unlike any place down here, but heaven's always on our heart. Can it be that you and I can actually make an impact on a place like that? Think about this. Heaven's a place as pure as God himself. Heaven's a place as holy as the Almighty. Heaven's a place as eternal as the great I am. Heaven's a place as peaceful as the Lamb of God. Heaven's a place that knows no flaw. There are no imperfections whatsoever. Can it be that you and I can actually alter a place like that? Well, the Bible says, Likewise, I say unto you that joy shall be in heaven. The walls of heaven are made of jasper. The gates that hang on those walls are made of pure pearl, one pearl per gate. Maze Jackson said, if the pearls are that big, imagine how good the oysters are going to be in heaven. (laughs) The foundation of that city is made of different kinds of precious stone. Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like that city is. I read the illustration: a young boy was walking with his father at night, and as they walked, the boy was looking at the sky. And his daddy said, What are you looking at? And he said, I'm looking at the stars. And the father said, it's beautiful, isn't it? And the boy said, it is. But I can't help to think, if the wrong side of heaven looks like this, how beautiful is the right side going to be? Heaven's a city built four square, a city constructed by the unseen hand of God. The road in heaven runs 1,500 miles every direction, and it's made of such pure gold you can look through it like glass. That golden highway winds through rows of mansions. It stretches by a sea of glass that looks like crystal. It offers views of a pure flowing river of life. Earth cannot compare to that place, but listen, I do think earth can impact that place. Heaven's such a place that the most imaginative dream can't describe it. The Apostle Paul has such a wide vocabulary, but he simply described heaven as being far better than anything he'd ever seen on earth. Thomas Edison, the inventor, was in a coma. And right before he passed away, he came out of his coma and he shouted, it's very beautiful over there. It's amazing, isn't it? Heaven's transcendingly remained the lyric of the singer, the subject of the writer, the sermon of the preacher, and the blessed hope of the Christian. But I'm convinced though tongue and pen and sermon and song have tried to tell us what waits for us on the other side, we've not even scratched the surface of how beautiful heaven's going to be. Even before I was saved, I heard about heaven. For example, I heard about this, in heaven there is no pain. But there is rejoicing. In heaven, there is no parting, but there is rejoicing. In heaven, there is no night, but there is rejoicing. In heaven, there is no sickness, but there is rejoicing. In heaven, storm clouds never gather, night never falls. There's no need for a light up there, but there is rejoicing. In heaven, there's no sin, no sadness, no separation. Thank God there is no Satan either. But the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven. I read and found out in heaven, there's a book of life. In heaven, and thank God my name's in it. In heaven, the Lamb of God is praised. In heaven, there's a throne. And by the way, that throne isn't empty. That throne is always occupied. But did you ever stop to think about this? The Bible said there's also rejoicing in heaven. Now let this sink in just for a minute tonight. I think according to our text, man can alter eternity. Man can make a difference on that which he cannot even see there can be something if you will man-made in heaven at this very moment I mean service after service it happens Sunday after Sunday it happens visit after visit it happens I've seen it happen at altars I've seen it happen in living rooms I've seen it happen on front porches I've seen it happen in airport terminals I've seen it happen in restaurants I've seen it happen at Walmart you never know what is gonna happen in Walmart I've seen it happen in jail cells and nursing homes and hospital rooms where suddenly heaven reacts to earth And eternity reacts to time. And there's a surge of joy that happens just over in the glory land. I mean, the angels quit their singing and shout amen. And the saints look down from heaven and shout amen. And God himself rejoices and Jesus smiles and shouts amen and shouts roll down streets of gold. And shouts bellow across the crystal sea. And shouts reverberate through the mansions. And throughout the length, breadth, and height of that city, there's rejoicing in Heaven. Now what stirs me up tonight is the cause of that rejoicing. You see, in heaven they're shouting, but they're not shouting over streets of gold. They're shouting, but they're not shouting over a crystal sea. They're shouting, but they're not shouting over a robe of righteousness that they wear. They're shouting, but they're not shouting about their mansion over the hilltop. But the book does say there's joy up there, doesn't it? It does say there's rejoicing. So I gotta ask the question, what makes it happen? Cause you better believe it. If I can cause Jesus to say amen, and I can make God rejoice, and make heaven a happier place than it already is, I wanna do it with all my strength, and all my might, and all my time. So I wanna ask the question, if there's joy up there if there's rejoicing up there if there is shouting up there I want to know what is all that shouting about anyhow here in Luke 15 Jesus is in Jerusalem now if you read the chapters leading up to this you find Jesus is making his way there I like what Jesus does he preaches in all of those little villages in route to Jerusalem he did not wait to get to the perfect will of God to do the work of God. You hear what I just said? Jerusalem's the perfect will of God, but I'm glad he served God on the way. You know why a lot of folks never get in the will of God? Because they won't serve God where they are now. They sit there and wait on the perfect will of God to fall from heaven. I found out it's easier to find God's will when you're busy in God's work. I'll sign your Bible after the service. But anyway... As Jesus arrives in the city, the Bible says that he laments over the waywardness of the people there. His heart breaks at the blindness of that multitude in the city. It says he enters into the house of a chief Pharisee. And as they sit down at a table, he begins to present parables to the crowd that gathered around him. Now, as Jesus began to speak, sinners and publicans gravitated toward him. You see, there's something about this man from Galilee that was different than the Pharisees. There was something about this man that stirred their heart and piqued their interest. They'd heard the scribes, but they'd never heard anybody speak like Jesus spoke. Now, let me call time out for a minute and say that if Jesus didn't have trouble reaching the world and winning the lost, you and I don't have to mimic the lost and act like the world to reach them either. Jesus was holiness in human form. He's righteousness personified, and sinners still drew nigh to him. Can I say we can win this world just by acting like Jesus, talking like Jesus, attempting to walk like Jesus, amen. Amen. As Jesus speaks off in the shadows, a group of murmurers—Pharisees ph- and scribes—they can't believe that that man, who some thought was their Messiah, would have a meal with people like that. Doesn't he know those are sinners? Those are publicans. How in the world is Jesus in fellowship with those kind of people? Why is he hanging around that kind of reprobate crowd? And I believe that probably hurt the heart of the Lord, don't you? I mean, don't the Pharisees understand Jesus came to seek and save that which is what? Laws. He came not to call the righteous, but what? Sinners to repentance. Them who are whole don't need a physician, but them who are sick. They make an accusation against Jesus in verse number two. Look at it with me. They say, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, they meant that to be slanderous, but I'm glad that's true. I'm glad Christ receiveth sinful men. Now that might not help you a lot tonight, but listen, I just—I wasn't born saved, sanctified, spit shine, spirit-filled, any of those things. I was born lost and on my way to hell. It is a good day in my life when I figured out Jesus didn't come for perfect people. He came for imperfect people. He didn't come for those wrapped in their own righteousness, but those whose righteousnesses were all as filthy rags. He didn't come for those that were all right. He came after those that were in a mess, and I was one of those, and I'm glad for the day when I heard in mercy and grace that Christ died for me on the cross, and I'll testify tonight and say, fair. See, it's true, he does receive sinful men. Now, here in verse number 4 through verse number 7, he turns his attention away from the crowd at the table. And he addresses that crowd that had been scowling at him from the corner of the room. And in the form of a question, he begins to explain to the Pharisees the reason he would left heaven for earth. In verse number 4, he asks this question. What man of you having an hundred sheep If you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. Now, in essence, here's what he's saying. Pharisee, imagine. You have 100 sheep. You love those sheep. Those are your sheep. They're the theme of your life, the desire of your heart. That's your life. Those are your sheep. But one day you wake up, one of your sheep is missing. Ninety and nine are safe. One is in danger. Ninety and nine are in the fold, but one has gone astray. Because the shepherd loves that sheep so much, he wouldn't dare think about letting it perish in the wilderness without first trying to find rescue and bring back that lost sheep. I can see it as that shepherd would lay in bed and lose sleep at night. There'd be one thought on his mind, my sheep is lost. One thought on his heart, my sheep is lost. Throughout the day, he'd wrestle with it. Where is that sheep? One of my sheep is lost. He goes on and says, don't you think that shepherd in verse 5 and 6 would go to where that sheep was? He'd put everything else on the back burner. He wouldn't worry about the danger. He wouldn't worry about the strain. He wouldn't worry about the adversity he might face. Everything else would get put on hold. He'd climb mountains, traverse valleys, and seek that lost sheep till he found it. And when he found it, he'd bind up his wounds, put him on his shoulders, and bring him home. But he wouldn't come home like we walk into church sometimes, you know, just half-baked and kind of half asleep. He'd come home shouting about it. He'd come home saying, hey, that lost sheep is found. Hey, that lost sheep is found. He was in danger, but he's safe now. He was away, but he's back now. The adversary didn't get him. The weather didn't get him. He's back where he belongs. And he'd shout over one lost sheep, but he didn't stop there. He'd run all over town. He'd knock every door. He'd dial every number. He'd even invite his mother-in-law to come out. And he'd say, hey, we're going to have a party. They'd say, what's the occasion? Well, you remember that lost sheep? Yeah, it's a sad... Well, listen, he's back now. The adversary didn't get him. The weather didn't get him. The, the, the adversary didn't get him. He's safe now. And it says all the city, all his friends and neighbors would join together, and they'd shout over one lost sheep that had been found. I think Jesus would say, Pharisee, if you loved sheep like I do, you'd shout about that. If sheep were on your heart like they're on my heart, that'd stir you up a little bit. If you were in the sheep business like I'm in the sheep business, you couldn't be still about one lost sheep that'd been found. Now, you can see those Pharisees, they probably looked at Jesus sort of cross-eyed. Their whole heart couldn't put that picture together. They could understand physically why a shepherd would seek a sheep. That's his income but they could not make the spiritual application. So Jesus gives us the application so plain and simple in verse number 7 that even a Pharisee can understand it. He applies it and says this, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one, watch it doesn't say sheep, one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. You see, this story is not about a shepherd and a sheep, but rather this story is painting for us a very vivid picture of what takes place on earth and what takes place in heaven every time a lost, wayward, wicked, defiled, depraved, low-down, whatever you want to call them, sinner hears the gospel and gets born again by the grace of God. I think those Pharisees must have wondered, Jesus, it's strange. Why is it that you're always out there amongst those publicans and sinners? Why is it that you run around with that Samaritan woman? Why is it that you hang around Nicodemus? Why is it that we saw you there uh, with, uh, with Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus and Lazarus? Why are you running with that crowd? Why is it, Jesus, you're always out there knocking those doors? Why is it you're always talking to folks? Why is it you don't come to the ministerial association meetings, but you're always out there amongst the multitude? Why is that, Jesus? And I think he would say, Pharisee, you could take the value of every sheep that ever grazed from Carmel uh, to Sinai or Sharon to Hebron, multiply their value by 1,000, and it wouldn't touch the hem of the garment of the value I place on one of those lost sinners that gets born again. Now, let me make the application very plain. It's not real impressive or deep but I still think it's right. Why is heaven shouting, here it is, someone who is going to hell, isn't going to hell anymore. A child of the devil is now a child of the king. Somebody who was one heartbeat from judgment is now washed in the blood of the lamb. They left darkness, stepped into light. They're not dead in their chins. They're alive in Christ. And now all of heaven shouts, shouting down streets of gold, shouting across the crystal sea, all because a sinner got saved. I mean, Moses shouts, and Daniel shouts, and David shouts, and Jesus shouts over a sinner that gets born Born again. Now, I'd say that probably, didn't, that probably didn't really impress those Pharisees back then. And it might make their kin still upset tonight. I don't know. But the book says they're not shouting over your personal standard. Now, I hope you have at least one of those. The book doesn't say they're shouting because you preached a slick sermon or sang a good song. But the Bible says all of heaven rejoices when someone who was lost... Gets born again. That means whenever a sinner bows their head and prays, and by faith receives Christ, all of heaven resounds with glory to God. Hallelujah. The angel takes his pen and writes across the gold-edged page of the book of life, and they say a new name is written down in glory. The blood on the mercy seat cries out, satisfied, justified, and all the angels shout amazing grace!" when a sinner gets saved. I like the song, go sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner saved, saved from the fire. No more in darkness. He's received God's Son. All of heaven rejoices. That's the value of one. I like what it says. One sinner. I'm glad it doesn't say one rich sinner or one poor sinner or one young sinner or one old sinner or one educated sinner or one uneducated sinner. It doesn't say a white sinner, a black sinner, it doesn't say a polka dot sinner. It doesn't say an ugly sinner. It doesn't say a good-looking sinner. It doesn't say a bald sinner, sir. It doesn't say a, a hairy sinner, ma'am. Uh, anyway, it doesn't say that. It just says one sinner. You know what that means? Anybody that's not saved, if you can help get them saved, heaven shouts about that. The drunk on the street, the rich in their palaces, the poor and unlearned, and men of degree, they all have a soul in need of salvation. And I'm glad God saves old sinners. But isn't it amazing? We can touch heaven from earth. I mean, we can touch heaven from an altar, from a front door, from a bedroom, hello, from, from a, a, a restaurant, wherever it is. John arrives said the sea of humanity is full of fish and they're always biting. You see, I tell you what makes heaven shout. They're not shouting because you got new carpets. They're not shouting because we finally voted in the right kind of decor for the Lord's Supper table. Hello. They're not shouting. They're not shouting because of the facilities, and we're thankful for all that. But I tell you what makes heaven shout, when a lost person gets born again. And by the way, not just lost folks who look like you. I tell you what always bothers me when I go to churches and everybody there looks just like I do. You say, what do you mean, a male model? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Clothed in humility. uh, But anyway... What I mean by that is they look like they just stepped out of the fundamental edition of the JCPenney catalog. (laughs) They got on their nice suit and tie and their nice Sunday dress. And you can tell they've been saved for decades. I tell you, there ought to be some folks in church all the time that look like they're fresh from the field. Now, I preach against all kinds of stuff, and I don't think that you ought to get everything pierced and get tattooed up and all that stuff, but there ought to be some folks in our church that look like that because that means they just got reached. I'm against a lot of those things, but I'm for anybody coming to church and letting us preach to them and getting saved. One sinner that repenteth. I mean, imagine a Picture it with me in your mind. Picture that kind of maybe a lady on the wrong side of town. There's probably that in San Jose. I don't know. But she makes her living doing wicked things. Things that you wouldn't think about, talk about, or want your daughter involved in. And most of the time, men will just drive by and yell nasty things out the window. Women walk a wide path around that kind of a woman. Be better off if they, they weren't here. Just get rid of them. But what about on this day, a woman from the church doesn't look past her, but looks at her and realizes that's a soul that Jesus died for. And she approaches that lady, and no doubt that lady would say, now listen, you don't want to talk to me, you don't know what I do or who I am, and maybe that woman would respond, I don't care who you are or what you've done, I want to introduce you to a man that changed my life. And there on that street corner, she hears the gospel, and she hears about a man who won't abuse her, and she hears what real love is like through Jesus. And tears run down her face, and she bows her head in faith and gets saved. I tell you what happens on earth, men keep driving by and shouting nasty things. Women might keep walking a wide path around her, but I'll tell you what just happened up in heaven. Rahab said amen. The Samaritan woman shouted hallelujah. You see, over a woman like that? Oh yeah, over a woman like that. Maybe he's the kind of fellow goes to work and blows his paycheck check on booze. His wife doesn't know where her husband is. Daddy, uh, kids don't have a daddy at the house. I mean, that guy's no count, deserves to have his nose bloodied, run out of town. And, and I think it is sorry. But what about on this day or this night a man from the church doesn't go past him but looks at him and goes to him and says, if you let me, I'll take you somewhere, get you some coffee, some bacon and eggs, and I want to talk to you about something. And maybe there they sit down in a diner and no doubt the waitress wonders, why is that fellow sitting with that old drunk? Maybe folks in the other booths will look over their shoulder and think, doesn't he know who that man is? But there for the first time, that fellow hears a story about a man that could change his life. And that man says, there was a day I used to try to drown my sorrows in a bottle like that. But I met a man named Jesus who took my thirst for that away. And if he changed my life, he could change your life too. And that old drunk in that diner, there over coffee and eggs, bows his head and receives Christ as Savior. Can I tell you what happens in the diner? Waitress keeps walking by. People in the other booths keep looking over their shoulders. But i tell you what just happened up in heaven. David said, amen. And Noah shouted, hallelujah. And lot said glory to God you say over a drunk like that yeah over a drunk like that maybe you know the kind especially if you go out visiting for the bus routes and things which go out on a Saturday morning and you go out and knock doors on Saturday morning and you knock on these doors and back home we always go to different like trailer parks and things you knock on these doors and usually it's not a mom or dad that opens the door it's a little person about the, as high as the pulpit is it opens the door and that yard's usually not mowed and there's an old broken down doghouse, and it just kind of stinks around there. And you ask that young person, say, is mom or dad home?" And they'll say something like, well, mommy and daddy's asleep or mom's sick. And what they mean is they're strung out from whatever or they don't know where they're at. And if you were to ask the school teacher at the public school, they'd say, that's a statistic. You might ask the government and they'll say, well, that's just a liability. You ask most church folks, they say, well, they can't even give them the offering. That's a soul that Jesus died for. And maybe that bus worker or that van driver who gave up a little bit of time on a Saturday says, if you'll come to church, I'll be back tomorrow and I'll give you a ride. You know what they say almost 100% of the time if you tell them you'll give them a ride to church? I'll come. You might have to give them something for it, but that's okay. And you go back the next morning and they come out of the house wearing the same thing they were wearing the day before. Hair needs brushed, face is dirty. Kind of have a smell just not loved like they ought to be and they get on your bus or in your van and you make the dumb choice to give them a piece of bubble gum and by the time you get to church that bubble gum is MIA somewhere on that bus and you don't know if it's in the bus in your hair but it's somewhere not in their mouth and those kids say words like you used to say before you got saved and they know every song on the pop chart or the rock charts and they get to church and man they come off that bus and it's like the Tasmanian devil came to church all you see is a big blur of hair and dirt flying through the building. I mean, you've got to watch them, make sure they don't get up in the baptistry and do the butterfly stroke through the baptistry. I mean, there's everywhere. Most church folks will say, Man, I can't believe we bring folks like that to church. Now, I'm glad it's not like that here. Boy, we bring those kind of people to church, they get it dirty. Can I say, if you get upset about somebody like that getting to church dirty, that's like you getting upset when you get a grease on your wrench. Now, this is a beautiful wrench God's blessed us with, but it's still a wrench. You see what do you mean? It's a tool to get the gospel to lost people. But think about this. Maybe in Santa Clara, California, for the first time, a six year old, seven year old, ten year old goes to a Sunday school class and the teachers prayed and prepared, and they hear about Jesus for the first time. And that little person bows their heart and receives Christ as Savior. Can I tell you, mom and dad probably aren't gonna say amen. And the school teacher might not give him a round of applause. And some church folks might even think, Well, do you really think they got it? But I'll tell you what just happened up in heaven. All of heaven called time out to shout over a little bus kid that got born again. I remember the story and I told tell this story, I think I might have told it at youth conference even, but I remember the little boy Several years ago, when we were still back east in our church, my wife was the church secretary and things, and a tragedy happened where a man got strung out on drugs and drove from, I think it was Illinois to Kentucky. And he randomly broke into a house and went upstairs in the house and got a, he got a knife out of the kitchen drawer, opened a door in the, upstairs of that house, and there's a little six-year-old boy asleep in his bed. And that man didn't even know that family, but he began to stab that little boy, and he murdered him in his bedroom. The father woke up and wrestled that man outside and held him down in the grass until the police came. I wish when the police showed up, they'd have said, Dad, you can take care of it right now if you'd like to. I guess that's not politically correct. It's just make me feel good. I wish you'd do it. They arrested that man. In fact, he got found not guilty because of mental insanity just like a couple months ago, I think. Murdered that boy. All throughout the area their churches began to call and say, we'd like to have his funeral at our church. They didn't reach him. They wanted to have his funeral. It was on MSNBC and CNN. I have a hard time saying that, (laughs) especially with my mom being here. She taught me not to cuss. But anyway, (laughs) it was on all those news networks. I mean, all over the nation. They wanted to have his funeral because it was going to be on television. My wife was the secretary, and she was telling me this story. And she said, "But there's good news." I said, "What's that?" She said his name was Logan said Logan started riding a church bus when he was four he got saved and baptized when he was five he went to heaven when he was six and I told her through the phone and the hair on the back of my neck still stands up every time I think about it I said I'm glad there's at least one church in our area that wanted that little boy when he was alive because there's a lot that want him now when he's dead and can bring attention I just happen to think there's probably some little people like that in our area that needs somebody to care about their soul while there's still hope for their soul and can I say when somebody like that gets born again all of heaven rejoices in that can you imagine up in heaven I mean as a mother maybe looks over as a soul owner approaches the home of where her son lives I mean those bus drivers get behind the seat of that bus and crank it up can you imagine the stir that goes through that city in heaven they know what's getting ready to take place A Sunday school teacher's prayed and prepared and has a lesson on the gospel in their Sunday school class and all of heaven gets in anticipation looking over, maybe they'll get saved today. And with all that's going on up there, every time a person gets born again, they shout over that. I always pick on her because she's just new here, but Denise got saved a few weeks ago. She doesn't mind me saying that. I say it all the time in Sunday school. But whenever you got saved down here, Denise, heaven shouted about that. All of heaven rejoiced. I'm talking about the people we read about in that book right there, said amen when you got saved. Others have been saved this week and last week. Heaven shouts over that. I love soul winning. You know why? You don't have to have a big budget to please heaven. You don't have to know even a whole lot of Bible to please heaven. I found out creation, God was satisfied with that, and redemption, God was satisfied with that, and preaching pleases God. But the only thing I can find in my Bible that makes him say amen is soul winning. Let me give you a couple of statements. Number one, soul winning was the purpose for Calvary. If you whittled your Bible down to one splinter of truth, here it is, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? Save sinners. Why did Jesus leave heaven for earth so sinners get saved? Why did he rove his deity in humanity for sinners to get saved? Why did he live a sinless life and die the sinner's death on the cross so that sinners might get saved? Statement number two, soul winning is the purpose of the Christian. The reason you're breathing air tonight is to tell someone else how to get born again. We talked about this morning in Sunday school. You don't even have to know a whole bunch of Bible verses. You just need to know what God did for you and tell somebody about it. That's your... People always say, Would you pray that I'll find the will of God? I don't have to pray about it. I already know what God's will is for you. Same thing it is for me. Tell somebody who's not saved how to get saved. Then statement number three, The only thing I can find in my Bible that makes heaven rejoice... Is soul winning when sinners get saved? Scooter had been saved for two days, out of jail for two weeks, responsible for five people getting born again. Let me ask you this question. I'll close. If you were the only soul winner that Jesus had, how often would he get to shout? If you were it, once a week, once a month, once a year if this was the only church that Jesus had how often would he get to shout if I can make heaven happy I want to do it with all my heart and all my strength and all my time I wonder when's the last time you took a gospel tract, handed it to a person and told him that Jesus saves if we have revival in our church, it'll be evidence in the fact that you and I who are saved get a burden for folks who are not saved. The fruit of revival is not shouting amen, running laps around the church. I'm not against you doing that. In fact, I'd have taken some of it tonight. But what's the fruit of revival? It's you and I getting a burden for lost people to get saved. We can go overboard on a lot of things. But I don't think we can go overboard on getting the gospel of lost people.